once again, um, lock the door behind you. Make sure that towel is properly positioned. You're walking in on another $5 buzz. To my left, your co-host, Roger Mayer, out in Los Angeles, California. How are you, Roger? Doing fantastic. Fantastic. Doing just lovely things. And Pete Liska, also in um, Los Angeles, California. How are you? Excellent, man. How are you? And I'm seeing right there, you got a zipper of some Blue Dream from Colorado. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't mind if you put that right in the slide piece, because we got <laughs> at least one guest from Colorado. Uh, my dear friend, Patrick Ryder, uh, who uh, is like a big brother to me, some would say. Longtime friend. Uh, how are you tonight, Pat? I'm doing well, George. Uh, some might say that uh, I'm like a big brother to you. You are. And uh, Patrick, you're also... Uh, kind enough to join us on short notice you know we have been talking about this episode for a little while but someone a uh, few of us know couldn't make it tonight so you were kind enough to slot in yeah i i get it uh you know when you asked i put everything through my filter i just asked myself straight up like what would john stewart do he would cancel so i did the opposite i joined in right away and i really appreciate that pat you're the second uh individual from the great city of Clifton Park, New York, to join us. And uh, I know back in those days, you were a member of the soccer team. And uh, as good as a friend you are of mine, you beat my high school, Sachem, back in the 93 uh, states. And, consistently, uh, George, not just 93, consistently. We made it up there. We got beat. We got kicked like a tomato can. And there, I, Pat, there was a fellow named, uh, was it Slate Jackson, who may or may not have squeaked into got a uniform without uh the school district's knowledge uh that'd be slade jones and uh it's it's possible i mean i had a great seat from the bench and he balled out for west virginia is that right that is correct that is correct well uh you're also kind enough to bring your friend brian jones on the program tonight uh brian do you get a lot of rolling stones references or are we way past that you know, it's funny, my first first 10 years in the industry, every meeting I'd go into as someone who was a Stones fan would bring that up. Everyone. It was yeah. great. I always think of like the, when I hear the name Brian Jones, I think of like Under My Thumb, Painted Black, etc. cetera. Uh, I know you're from Iowa originally. What part of Iowa are you from? So I'm from a little town in the northeast corner called Walk On. Uh, our, uh, yeah, so it's, it's tiny, 4,000 people. Nothing uh, too fancy. Um, in fact, if you ask anybody where it is, nobody will know where it's at. But if you say it's by another town, everybody will know because the weather reports would always show the town next door to us. And we never <laughs> got on the map. So, Understood. Fair <laughs> enough. And I know that you went to university at uh, the University of Iowa, Hawkeye Nation. Uh, I want to ask you about two uh, athletes from your era. Uh, sure. Do you remember a guy who played uh, defensive end for you guys, Jared DeVries? Of course. Yeah. Appleton Parkersburg. Yeah. Appleton. Is it Appleton, Iowa? Yes. Yep. Yeah. So I graduated college in 99. So did he. So I kind of have an affinity for these guys like uh, Ricky, uh, Ricky Williams, Edger and James, Tom Brady, of course. But uh, Jared DeVries was in that class and uh, he was a great fucking player for the Hawkeyes and he played for the Lions miraculously years. same team for like 13 years yep yeah he did. yeah so I'm glad you know him and one last one and then we'll get to the topic uh growing up I was a wrestler back in uh, Long Island New York and 
you know, it was kind of like uh, a vision quest situation, kids not eating, running. <laughs> and we heard about this kid from South Dakota <laughs> who wrestled for the University of Iowa Hawkeyes named Lincoln McElravey. Do you remember him? I remember him. He, he, he should have been a four-time NCAA champ. Yeah. Uh, he was he was a stud. I think he, he wrestled a god, from right? He wrestled under to, Dan Gable, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. He wrestled in the in the mid nineties. He was a bad man. Yeah. yeah. I was so, had a lot of them, but he's he stands out to me. So if if folks at home aren't uh Iowa is am, am I doing it justice to say it is the Mecca of collegiate wrestling? Dan Gable is the Michael Jordan or bigger of collegiate wrestling. Is that Dan Gable? Dan Gable, in my opinion, would be like um oh gosh. Well, he would be bigger than Tom Brady. And I know you guys are big Brady fans. He's bigger to football than Tom Brady, than, to wrestling than Tom Brady is to football. Yeah, well, he just all of us are big Tom Brady. <laughs> he did a um he just was on uh Joe Rogan's podcast uh a couple of weeks ago. It was a fascinating interview, but um we're not here to talk about men in tights. <laughs> yeah. We're talking uh, we're, we're here on. we're talking we're here to talk about green leaf. However, you yeah. do have you have kept your record, George. There has not been one episode where somehow sports has not found it. <laughs> it was good. always going to find. We love you for it, George. We love you for it. Very, very good. I stick it to what I'm good at, but uh, tonight's episode <laughs> is going to be talking about cannabis and the cannabis industry. And Patrick Ryder and Brian Jones are both experts in the field. So uh, I'll let Pat uh, kick it off. Uh, Pat has been in Denver for uh, roughly a decade, and he's spent. Uh, uh, his professional career the last decade focused in this, uh, the epicenter in the U.S. at least uh, of the cannabis industry, where Colorado was, uh, Pat, was it the first state to legalize marijuana? Be Washington by months, but right. yes. So can you just give us, uh, the listeners and ourselves, uh, you know, the SUNY cliff notes, if you will, about what you do day to day and uh, I know uh, at least that Colorado, Denver, Colorado has grown tremendously. Would you say a lot of that has to do with uh, the cannabis industry? I would say to a degree it does. I mean, Denver, I've been out here for 10 years. I fled the East Coast uh, like any sane person should and, uh, you know, landed in Denver. The reason why I got out here is actually, uh, you guys know Mike Whitehouse. He was living out here. I played soccer with him at Potsdam and uh, completely different experience than high school. But um, he was the only guy I knew and Denver had a really cool airport. So I was out here selling insurance. And uh, <laughs> when I got here, Denver was just on the come up, right? It was 2011, medicinal marijuana was, was here. And uh, the coolest thing I ever did was spend $59 to get a, a medical card, like the day after I got a driver's license. It was immediate. It was here. I'm a Colorado guy. I got a medical card. I walked in and it was fucking amazing, right? Just walk in. You're like, hey, what do you got? And they've got everything. And it was it was super cool. But, uh, you know, in the last, I would say realistically since 2014, 2015, when everything really started jumping off from a, a adult use perspective, and then four years ago, I got into it on the insurance side, you know, Denver has seen a tremendous influx of young people. And I think that there is a certain degree of, and Brian was, was one of them. I'm a lot older than Brian. Uh, Brian came out to Denver as part of this influx, this wave of young professionals 
to work in a cool city that had an outdoor vibe and, and a, a thriving downtown pot's legal, but it pot was never the draw, right? The art scene, the music scene. I mean, Red Rocks is here, George. I know when you're out here, you like to go hiking over there. Yeah. Great um, weather for it, the most part, isn't it? Phenomenal weather. I mean, we get snaps of cold like anywhere else, but our snow never turns black. And that's a, that's a huge bonus. Uh, but so we just had all these young folks coming in and marijuana was certainly part of it. Uh, and that was a really cool thing to watch and, and watch these companies grow. But there were some restrictions, right? I mean, being first doesn't always mean being the best. And so they didn't allow companies to get really big. And, uh, you know, for what it's worth, that's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, we don't have these mega, you know, national companies in Colorado, but now they're starting to get gobbled up by those guys. So the pot scene itself is evolving very quick, very quickly into a, a more corporate environment, I would say. And then on the outskirts, you know, you got the people that came because pot's legal. And now they're just here. And we've got a homeless problem. And so you've seen Denver grow and, and it's, it's got geographic limitations with the mountains being where it is. And uh, it can only grow so far and so fast. And so we're, we're struggling with some of those challenges too. And, and certainly you would have detractors say that pot's part of the problem. Brian, you were in Colorado and I know Pat always told me that Denver Boulder is uh, a blue, uh, intense blue area, but the rest of the state is red. Uh, how does the rest of the state feel or the rest of the region feel about uh, what's going on with the marijuana industry? And feel free to expand about your experiences and you sure. know, your area of expertise as well. Yeah, so um, I would say late 2017, uh, you know, Pat and I, I think we probably had started talking around then. I think I went down to his office and had a, had a coffee at his Starbucks just to get to know him. Seemed like a nice guy. And we were both on nice. this, on, on this precipice, precipice of, uh, of this, of this industry. Um, you know, from that first conversation, you know, you just started seeing this momentum of everywhere you went, there was a dispensary. I, I moved out there in 2016 to, to build out our, you know, to help build out our West Coast, you know, book from from an insurance standpoint, but it turned into so much more. I, I met a gentleman uh, who who has a cultivation operation there, and the first thing that him and his uh, now wife said is, "Let's let's go take a tour." Took a tour, um, and as soon as I walked into the place, I, I just realized that the cannabis industry wasn't going to be people in a garage growing weed. It was it was going to turn on its head. I'd say this was early 18 um, or, or late 17. I can't, I can't quite remember. I think it was late 17. So, you know, I immediately went to work trying to, trying to push ourselves into this and just immerse ourselves into this world. You know, one of the things that Colorado did uh, at the beginning was basically no public company, no outside money. They were trying to keep these licenses to local operators and, and keep the, the, the industry within its borders, right? You know, they were the first first state to to legalize. They didn't want to be, um, you know, what they did smart. What I thought was smart was they didn't want to push the limits of their borders, right? So they, you know, they kept the investment local. They kept everything uh, inside the borders, and you said we're going to build this this business. You know, from there it just has exploded. You know, the 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 whole uh, know, premise that they were doing this to get tax revenues for schools. Well, I, I was doing some numbers quick before we jumped on and, and, 
you know, the, the, the general fund budget's $12 billion. They collected around 400 million of, of tax revenues in 2020. So it's really just, you know, something people voted for, something people wanted, and they, and they came up with a, a strategy to do it. I would argue that California's had the most mature market because of the, the medical uh, being legal there for years. But Colorado, like Patrick said, I mean, we were in and out in three years in Denver. We, we moved there in 16 and, and left in 19 because we weren't a fans of what some, some of the stuff's going on. But I, I would wholeheartedly say that's not cannabis. That's just that's just the world Fans, we live yeah. in now. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, cannabis has been, I think, a net positive for for most of the people that have that have wanted it that way. What's the negative elements that you guys have uh, brought up a couple of times? I, I lived in Colorado Springs for four years. Okay. I was curious how that, you know, if there's a lot of dispensaries down there or in like. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll so. So one of the things that Colorado does and every state does, uh, and you saw it in Virginia, you'll see it in New York too, as it comes online, is the state government says, okay, we're going to decriminalize. You, the local jurisdiction, can then issue licenses if you'd like to. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. Colorado Springs can't, no dispensaries. Um, big, None. huge military presence, right? I mean, yeah. they don't want right. that shit in their backyard wow. at all. And so it's not. Um and so you get these communities, and George, to your question about blue and red, I mean, you've got pockets that have just said, you know what, that's not who we are, that's not our culture, we don't want it, and that's okay, that's fine, right? It's, this is something that's for the people that want it, and I think that's cool. Um, and the people that don't want it in their community, you know, you can find a means to an end. It's not like you can't go and grow in your backyard or get something and, and take it into the privacy of your own home. You just can't go to the store down the street. And again, I think that's fine. You know, some of the negative element of this is <clears throat> marijuana is a huge cash crop for the cartels, right? Well, it was. And as soon as it got legalized and, and people were kind of, again, fencing off their borders, well, the cartels aren't going to just stop selling drugs. They're just going to start selling different drugs. So we see a lot more methamphetamines, a lot more heroin. And, and that kind of crowd is not the marijuana crowd. But because of the influx of that kind of drugs, you do see the influx of those kinds of individuals coming into your backyard. You're starting to acquire folks that are pro any drug. And yeah, once other stuff starts becoming available, they're willing to participate. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I think, uh, you know, you'll see it all, all across the Southwest right now and really into, into Los Angeles. Pete, I'm sure you're saying some of this meth is becoming a big problem. It has been. Not becoming. Yeah. It's, it's been yeah. for quite a Almost, while. Homelessness is, uh, is at record highs. It's, it's tragic. Yeah. It's tremendous. Tremendous. I mean, even in my, where I live, it's, um, it's palpable. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. And, and I will tell you, Pete, uh, the homelessness problem isn't just due to people being on drugs. You know, housing is a problem. Mm -hmm. And uh, marijuana, Brian can attest to this because he's watched it too. Marijuana warehousing creates pressure on the industrial and the commercial real estate market, which drives prices up across the board. Can you so explain you get that an a little bit, in, Pat? Yeah. You got to have somewhere to grow it. So they buy these warehouses. They're not growing them in fields. I mean, you can get one to two crops in a field on an annual basis. You can get one to two crops in a month in a, uh, in a grow house. I mean, there is science behind it. It is technology driven. It is science driven. This is, you know, indoor vertical grows. Now, yeah, what type of folks impressive. get employed? Are those like um, 
folks with degrees in uh, the sciences or are these like guys you can pull off the street? So, yeah, I'll, I'll tell you what I saw. I, I would say that the people running it are certainly people that are, you know, business savvy, right? Mm -hmm. For the most part. So from ensuring this from a, from a, from the standpoint that we come at it, we, we ensure management teams and we ensure the company for, you know, securities claims. So, you know, you want people that. It's called DNO, right? Yeah. It's DNO directors, directors and officers and insurance. So you have you the, the initial influx into cannabis in the 14 to 17 time period is a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of guys and girls, maybe, you know, they knew how to grow great weed, right? But they don't know how to run a consumer packaged goods company. So there's been a huge transition of, you know, in you see the market where it just the market exploded in 17, 18. And then people kind of came back to earth. You had people that didn't know how to manage cash and they just they just overspent and underdelivered, and now you, you're seeing these companies that just got wrecked from a financial standpoint that have real management teams coming in with new money, people that know how to run these companies with, and keeping the grow people to the side, right? People, keeping the smart people that know how to grow the product and do it at high yields, like Patrick said, one to two times a month, or you know the, how the crops will. Um, you know, cycle through in their warehouses. You know, there's two sides of the house. You need your growers, you need your your business savvy. Well, then you have a whole other level of, of employee of, you know, from your trim, people that trim the plant. And that is just people that, and, and this is where I think it's a net positive. There's a lot of those homeless that we talk about who have jobs because it's, it's a labor intensive, you just you're just using the scissors and you're trimming this this weed essentially, right? Yep. So I, th I think there's there's certainly a positive there. If you if you start automating that that system, which I don't I don't think many of them will, uh, because I, th I still think it's a profitable business for them, highly profitable from from that standpoint. So I think you have all sorts of people in those companies. So yeah, and what I what I think is important is it's not just you see a dispensary that's part of the larger business model we call them vertically integrated companies multi state operators and it's truly from seed to sale they cultivate they manufacture they distribute they have brands they do everything they go for retail and then you've got companies like uh, you know like cookies right as a brand company they make it and then they give it to other so there's there's multiple layers uh, within one company and they're massive I mean, we've seen thousands of employees in these companies. You have some companies with stem to stern and some that operate on consignment. Yep. Yeah. And then you have, you have people that are extracting the oil and they'll sell the oil to other, to branding companies who will then put it on into edibles and put it into vape cartridges. And then you have vape, uh, you know, have cartridge companies or, you know, like Kushco, like the green, green lane where they're, they're just making uh, hardware essentially for you to, to, to vape your cannabis oil or, or anything like that. So you have, you have financial institutions that are now just looking to lend or they're looking to be a banking system. Um, you know, the, I don't know if every, you know, we'll get into some more of the legislation stuff later, but there's, there's a whole industry that's burgeoning here and it's, it's highly underserved. And while it's highly regulated in some spots, in some spots, there's just no help. So you know, it, it's a it's an industry that needs a lot of uh, maturing still to this point. Are there, um, are there banks that are out there actually 
giving loans on that business? Like big loans? Uh, no. No. Money is very expensive. Yes. Yep. So the money comes from where usually to start and operate a business? Rich, <laughs> rich people. Private rich equity. People. Yeah. Private so, equity, family offices, VC. I mean, it's think about think about cannabis much in the same way that you would think about technology. It 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 almost mimics that industry to a T from a, a development or a business life cycle standpoint. It's just different folks that have a ton of cash that are standing behind this stuff going, okay, when? when 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 and it's realistically it's a game right now of if you've got the cash to withstand federal legalization you know if you can withstand the next three to five years with no support like to brian's point you're gonna make a fuck ton of money yeah and here's the you know and and while we're while we're on the topic you know if if you see the safe act or section 280e um you know, the SAFE Act was just pushed through the House of Representatives again with some bipartisan support. And what that's going to do is opening up, it'll open up banking operations to help these companies. Because <laughs> there's stories of people paying multi-million dollars of their tax bill in an armored car and huh. delivering it to the IRS. Um, True story. In, yeah, bales, yeah. in bales of cash. In bales essentially, of cash. bales of cash because they can't bank. And there's That's been another, insane. and then this, the other part of this service industry, there's, there's former, um, former military who have created armored car services to wow. come and get these, these companies cash and, and transport it. It's, it's lunacy. That's interesting, right? interesting kind of cottage industry coming out of, uh, for, for retiree, especially military retirees. It's yeah. very interesting. Um, just a couple of questions. Um, it's, I hate to use sports analogy, but if this was a if the marijuana business was a baseball game, what inning are we in? Is it just starting, like, or is it, or are we well in? Are we well into the seventh inning? I would say third or fourth. Yeah, I would say That's, second. You know, I would say second or third. I, I yeah. still think that we haven't tipped fifty percent of the states on rec. Once okay. that happens, I mean, the tipping point. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. I just. You know, I mean, we've worked together a lot. Yeah, I know. I'm joking. We, yeah. Yeah, so we totally understand. I, I don't know. I think 50% is the number. Uh, and it's it's going that way, right? You have California, Texas is next. New York added. Virginia's there. The southern state, right? Virginia's the first southern yeah. state. It's a big deal. Um, but is Virginia really a southern state? Because a lot of that state is... George. You know, Beltway. George. Yeah. George. It's, it's, a, it's a southern state. Let me. I would argue. I would argue that Virginia is probably more so- southern than North Carolina. Yeah. Well, I I got some good stories on this on with the Virginia <laughs> stuff. I I actually just drove through Virginia. Um. It and as Patrick said, he's he's talking about this wave, right? So New York ran and ran after it. Jersey, um, Connecticut hasn't done it yet. Massachusetts has. Um. But if you just look at where this is going and follow the money, Verano, um, these some of these large MSOs that are are dropping hundreds of millions for three or four dispensaries in a grow operation in Pennsylvania. So which state would you, cons- which state is next? It's, it's medical already. You know, it has that a, right there, that right there puts it early in the game. I mean, that, exactly. That, that's what we were saying. Yep. But, yeah. but that also begs the question. So, you know, you're talking about taxes and everything. And, and I also, I also want to mention real quick cookies. They just opened up down the street from us. There's a line around the corner. It's incredible. Med, med men, which is up the street is not busy anymore 
and it's and I can't help but think of how these business and these business models resemble a Starbucks or or even Target in some respects, you know. So that's that's neither here nor there. Now, what I'm curious about is how are they squaring this? How are they how are they growing these corporations like this when it's still not federally legal? And do they have to pay federal tax, although they're not federally legal? And just to add another layer to that question, is the is the weed regulated? Are there rules by state or who is who's telling you what you're getting is what you're actually getting when it comes to that? Sorry, that's a lot, but, the, but no, uh, I'll jump in on the taxes. I, I think that's something that just came up. Uh, Harborside in California actually was appealing uh, a ruling where they just basically said, I mean, these guys were old school. Harborside were some OGs. They were those guys, right? And they basically you know, gave the finger to the government and said, fuck you. I'm not, you, you won't let me write off taxes. I'm not paying your taxes. And they, so, so they, everybody knows that that whole thing is due that right now they're not allowed to take deductions, yeah. right? Right. Wait, so, so a marijuana a business in California is not, a, or federal, a federal deduction you're saying? Federal deduction. They could take gotcha. it in the state. They can't take it at the federal level. So it was like $26, 29000000 million, something like that, that they basically wrote off and said, we're not paying you that money. And, and now they've been in court back and forth. And this is something that Brian and I look at in, in our world because that type of exposure can be insured. So we kind of dive into that and structure policies accordingly. It can so, be insured? You actually yep. insure? Wow, that's incredible. Regulatory enforcement. Uh, yeah, so you, if you need to defend yourself from a regulatory action, we can we can do that. Um, what, what if your business- we, we got our best SUNY guy on that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've, we've got one of those guys. I think you can tune in over there at uh, TalkLax. Fantastic yeah. work. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, so the tax issue is a big deal. You can't do you can't deduct business expenses as you would as a widget manufacturer. Right. So you end up basically paying, and you know, and, and we get into conversations about this all the time. Somewhere between an eighty-five and ninety-five percent effective tax rate. Wow! You just you can't. You, the only thing that you can deduct is the wholesale expense for the product that you purchase. Or no, you're, you're saying eighty-five to ninety percent of the the effective tax rate. There's yeah. no offset of that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Sorry. Wow. As um, a contractor, I get uh, my rent. I get to deduct like a tons of stuff, even mm-hmm. if you're a producer. I'm just, yep. and that's, you know, it's just crazy. And I, I just so, ask the question what insurance companies underwrite these policies? There's not, there's not many. There's not many. Um, Are there any big on, names like Fireman's Fund or Chubb or anybody like that? Who is, what's the, is it, or is it just some smaller outfits that do it? Well, so go ahead, let's, Brian. Yeah, let's let's talk about. I want to I want to answer all of Pete's questions because we could mm-hmm. talk about your questions, Roger, for days because okay. that's all we deal with on a daily basis. And you know, I have a lot to say about that. But Pete, I just want to make sure we cover everything. You said who regulates it, and then you were talking about MedMen well, versus cookies. And- well, what I'm, what I'm really what I'm really having a hard time wrapping my head around is that how are these? How is the federal government squaring these huge tax bill tax bills with not technically allowing the people to do it so to me they're not even in the picture you know if you if the state's allowing you to do it and you can be shut down at any time how does that affect an insurer knowing there is a chance this whole thing gets just shut down at some point we all know it's not i think you're probably making a safe bet it's only going to get more and more legalized i would absolutely agree but 
I the on the taxation of it all, these folks up there in what just where is it in California? Uh San Francisco, Oakland area. Okay, San Francisco, Oakland area. They're not wrong thinking, why are we paying you when we have we get nothing from you for this? Uh -huh. You know? I don't know. Yeah, it's it, you know it's regulated state by state. You know, if if you're growing cannabis in Colorado, you're not even supposed to, you're not even supposed to take a seed across state lines to replicate it elsewhere. Wow. Um, now, does that happen? I'm fairly certain that we can all assume that it that it is right. Um, you know, so it's regulated at a state by state basis. That's why every state's different. If you go to if you go to a, Cal a California dispensary, it looks now a lot like what a denver one does but i would say if you go to a washington one it was completely different a couple of years ago they were selling a uh, ziploc baggies it was barely childproof so there's a lot of things that have to happen at these state levels for them to sell this stuff they need childproof containers they need they need uh, some some sell scent free containers it's it's a it's it's truly a puzzle that they have to put together. Now, some of these people are, are starting it from from scratch and just saying, we're gonna build our own out. And some are being smart and going to Colorado, going to California, going to these mature, more mature markets and saying, how do you do it? We need to figure out how to do that. Um, you know, you talked an interesting thing about Men Men versus Cookies. So Men Men was first, but they didn't really grow their own. They were just selling other people's product on their shelves. Now they 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 started to venture into that, and then they ran into some financial trouble. Now they're trying to have a turnaround story, um, but Cookies is you know started by a rapper, so immediately you get that street cred. If you look at another is that company, Burner from San Francisco. That's, yeah, that's Burner. Yeah. Well, now you got, got Jay Z. Yeah. Yeah. So Burner of course, Jay -Z, yeah. of course, Jay Z yeah. sweeps in it in the ninth <laughs> inning, just like he does in every, everything else. No, it's, the, it's it's the second inning, George. Burner's been out on the street. He's been hot in the streets in San Francisco for a long time. And he was one of the first guys that was in the space, wasn't he? Was he not? Well, he's one of the smarter guys. Yeah. And, and I only say that he's from the standpoint, he's, he's hired some smart people. They've gone into the genetics of the plant and they've pulled out, they've pulled out this really top quality flower that, you know, kicks off 25 to 35% THC levels. Um, and I think they were working in conjunction with a company called Seed Junkies, and now they're into Florida. And if you see some of the other litigation coming up, it's it's THC caps, which is kind of dying by the wayside now because, you know, it's just silliness. But, um, <laughs> you know, we could, you know, Pete, it, it's a great question. And I, I couldn't even begin to answer how the federal government can take taxes for something that's illegal but you know they're going to have their hands in these pockets right if it's, so, it's almost like it's almost like gangster business you don't you, you know that what are you paying for i don't understand what <laughs> so the the idea here pete is is the lack of enforcement right so the big deal was the coal memo which basically that administration came forward and said that the state attorney generals can look the other way and when the federal government gave them permission to look the other way, Colorado, Washington, California, et cetera, and, and you see a pattern, I basically said, okay, if you're not going to look, we're going to go get this money and, and create jobs. And, and that's the mentality there. But the feds were like, you're also a business. You have to have an EIN. Like you still have to, you still got to pay the piper here. Mm -hmm. And basically 280E is the act that we all talk about. It says that you cannot take a deduction for a 
<clears throat> trafficking, right? For a business in, engaged in trafficking, in violation of RICO statutes. All of these companies are in violation of the Controlled Substances Act, every single one of them. So they can't make that deduction. And Harborside said, fuck you, let's try it. And they lost, they lost twice. But I, I, I can't imagine this is their last loss. Um, my guess is this will find its way to the Supreme Court at some point, because it's, it's really, in my opinion, it's an issue of states' rights. If you issue that kind of memo from the Attorney General of the United States to say, we are not going to enforce these laws, states, you have the right to determine your own blah, blah, blah. Now you're contradicting the Controlled Substances Act. Now you're contradicting what's put on the control, you know, the substances list, so the scheduled drug list. So I just, I think this has a long fight to get the Supreme Court and we'll end up with a states' rights conversation. From, a, from your perspective, though, if it doesn't, if the if the federal government somehow magically steps back, you don't, and you somehow don't pay federal taxes on on these state businesses, isn't that good to curb the corporate growth nationwide? So you don't see the same cookies or medmen on every corner in every state, and it allowing small businesses or smaller type businesses to maybe grow throughout this new industry that is, as we're talking about, only in the third fourth inning. Yeah. So that's a great, great question. And so you see a lot of, so we're going to go back to Jay-Z. One of Jay-Z's main goals is to make sure that there's um, opportunities for people of color in this as as he gets industry. Drip off it, right? Well, he's already got his drip and he, yep. it's a big drip. I mean, he's, he's partnered up with some, he's partnered up with some pretty smart people in my opinion. I've met with them and um, you know, they, they have a, a really good plan, but you know, I look at it as as you're gonna have you're gonna have some Budweisers, but you're also gonna have the craft as well. I think I think it's pretty safe to say people are gonna want. You know, there's gonna oh, be people that just analogy, yeah. yeah, people are gonna go in and they're gonna want hey, just give me an edible that I can get anywhere and it's you know nice and stable. And then you're gonna want people that like want that 35% THC because it's really really lights them up, right? They want the Virginia. Some people want Virginia Slims. Yes, right. Why <laughs> um, <laughs> But but yeah, some I people was, want rusted root. Some people want fish. When, <laughs> what side of the table do you fall on? <laughs> When when the when when you know the Senate went when the Senate went fifty fifty in the House is blue and the and the the presidential election went blue I I was thinking you know there's a lot of people on the cannabis side who are, who are excited about that and if I was in the cannabis business the only thing I would want is that Safe Act passed so I could bank and keep the money you know so you have much more of a money trail and and it can be much more of a short up business right. You you remove this from the federal uh, from the federal clause, and you can go on Amazon and buy an ounce. It'll be at your house, you know, same day delivery. They're not going to be able to compete with that. What's it, the next? What is the next Airbnb yes. Uber of that business? Where you have where you own no property, you yeah. own no. You know, I mean, Uber is the largest taxi and limousine company. Doesn't own a car. Airbnb, the largest hotelier, doesn't own a hotel. I mean, where's that? That's it's only bound to happen. It's already there. And Brian, does that strip out a lot of that dynamic of the guy getting arrested on the street with an ounce or the cop having to get into a situation where maybe he doesn't have to? If it's getting yeah. delivered right to my house and I don't have to take a risk by going to talk to like some, you know guy who may not have a SUNY degree, you know, it eliminates a lot <laughs> of variables <laughs> that, keep, yeah, it, it keeps it pretty safe though, from that perspective. Like if I'm getting it piped right into my house, 
my risk level is way down, isn't it, as a consumer? Yeah, yeah there's a couple of things there. If you look at what Virginia's doing right now, they said, okay, medical, okay. Recreation, okay, four years or, you know, three years from 2024, now. 2024, yeah. Yeah, three years from now, we're going to start selling it in our stores. And then all of a sudden, they came back and said, oh, wait, wait, wait. Middle of the summer, middle of the summer, you can, I think you can have like two ounces or an ounce of weed. And yeah, one ounce of weed there. I think there's another state that did two and a half ounces. But so now if you just have an ounce of weed in your car. And who just, who rolls around with an ounce? Not too many folks. <laughs> But you can, but you can, right? So they're just, but it's just, it's a mess. They don't have a plan. They're all over the map. I was driving through Virginia, stopped at a gas station, and there's this little case of a flower. And I was looking at it, and I was go, and I asked the guy, I said, "Is there THC?" He goes, "Oh no, 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 twenty-four percent cannabinoids. Interesting. This thing contains THC. Interesting. What's going on here?" So. you know, there's a lot of things that need to be shored up in these in these states that are really moving fast without getting their legs underneath them. So, but mm. you're right. You know, Orange County doesn't have dispensaries. I think in most of the towns, I think there's certain towns that'll let you do it. It's delivery only, and that's you know Orange County, California, and that might change too. But um, you know, when when I was there the last time, which is well, you know, before COVID, there was no dispensary anywhere near Dana Point. You had to you had to call up and uh you know talk to a dispensary and they deliver it to you um but yeah patrick said yeah i'll let him expand on that you know we're we're already kind of there with that uber thing i'll let him go there yeah i mean we see all kinds of startup companies i can tell you for certain there is an airbnb company that's out there you know i i saw what the uber guy said the other day and i, I think that's a an interesting topic given their stances on employees and the way the licensing works yeah um I don't think that that's a real thing for Uber, but there are delivery services. I mean, there's there's a, a website out there that's Leafly, and you can go and you can find exactly what's out there, where it is, you know, write-ups, reviews, the whole nine yards. There are marketplaces that are ready to go. Hey, Pat, uh, I, Roger, I know we're up against a break, but uh, Pat, if we could just uh, hit on one other point. You said that the folks that were uh, back, you know, waiting on the sidelines of cash, one guy that comes to mind uh, kind of nefariously is a guy called John Boehner, who was uh, a senator, I believe, from Ohio. And he was for uh, the majority, yeah, the majority of his professional career, he was hardcore anti-marijuana, probably dropped a hammer on a lot of guys, sent him to jail for holding a little bit of weed. Now, as far as I understand it, this guy is ready to be involved in pri- on the private equity side and investing in weed. Is that the case that some of these professional, um, you know, guys that have access to privileged knowledge are getting in? Is that what you guys are kind of seeing? Those type of folks, those kind of slippery, you know, lifelong politicians who have Listen, George, there's backroom their, bourbon deals, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, backroom bourbon, cigars, golf course deals. This is evolving like any other business one you and know, it's kind of sickening know. to see those fucking type of guys who sent a lot of fucking oh, guys yeah. to jail for maybe selling a dime bag or smoking a joint now he you know it's never enough man and now he's gonna get richer at age you know in the twilight of his career he's gonna go 142 fucking, yeah yeah and and he's gonna keep i mean on, honestly yeah. it's it's tough because we've seen the guys that 
started this. We know the guys that started this. And, uh, you know, I can say that some of those guys are my friends. Um, And they've been pushed out by guys that are better at making money. Right. That's unfortunately there is part of this that is about making money and creating an opportunity to exit in the short, medium or long term. And then you've got some really awesome people that are doing some really cool things that don't care about the money. This is part of a culture. This has been part of a movement for them for a long time. Love working with those people. Um, And they'll survive. Like to Brian's point, we'll have those kind of craft shops that stay true to it. You know, the Humboldts of the world and, and that kind of mentality but you've also got the John Banners of the world and that kind of mentality. It's, a, it's all part of this ecosystem. Yeah. Just to add to that, if you, you know, there was a pretty damning article in the, the Tri- Chicago Tribune about GTI uh, green, green thumb industries and just how they've potentially muscled their way to getting licenses in numerous States. And um, that, you know, if anybody has some time, you should go read that article. Now they've come out and completely denied it, of course, but, we all know how these deals get done. You know, the, the, the goal of some states, so you had a large care, a large MSO who announced they had a license in West Virginia. And then all of a sudden the licenses came out and they weren't anywhere to be found on the list. Now come to find there is another list and, and they're on it. These deals are going to be happening and and this is why you see the jay-z's of the world and you see others looking for you know more more social equity on this because as with you're seeing with cookies right (laughs) we can all be honest that that rappers and in that had a lot of money have smoked weed for a long time and snoop dogg and people that have had that car yeah had this culture they've been inside this culture they know what's good they know what's bad they they deserve a seat at the table and I think they make the industry better. So, so wait, uh, just to be clear, would you say Jay-Z is on the side of John Boehner? Is he on the side of Burner? Just to be clear. Is he more would, he's on a side. What's that? Ooh, if he's, he's on a Jay-Z. side, he's on a side. He's on a side. I think, I think he sees that it needs more social equity, but he also knows how to make money. So, Hey guys, as we go to break, I'll say Jay Z never had a record like Mob Deep, Wu Tang, Nas, <laughs> or Biggie Small. So Jay Z, take Not a seat, close. do what you got to do to be in this, that conversation. If you got to buy your way in, do it. But we'll last thing I'll say, if yeah. if he makes it better for, if he makes it more socially equitable, if he does do the things that he says, I think that's a positive. So better one on him. Cut him some slack. I'm a tough grader, guys. I, I, <laughs> let me apologize to anyone with a Jay Z poster. Bro. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to the $5 Buzz, and uh, we're going to continue on with our conversation about the cannabis industry. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much so far for all of your very insightful information. I have a couple of comments I wanted to make. I've noticed looking down a roster of a list of all the states that are legal now um, and, and were mixed. Right now, there are only seemingly eight states that are fully illegal at this point, um, where they have no mix, no medicinal and or 
you know, fully legal uh, marijuana. Do you think and that will ever become fully a country where it's fully legal everywhere? Do you think that's coming up? Hmm. That's a great question. I'll give my answer. I always thought if we got over the 26, 27 uh, number where half the states, uh, meaning half the senators um, that could vote for this would be the, would be the, the point, you know, with the South Dakota issue where they, they, I think it was 70% voted for medical and 54% voted for recreational in the November elections. It's been pushed back hard by the governor, a Republican governor, and um, the Supreme Court in that state to push back on on, on the people's will. Idaho has presented, um, and it's I think it's going to die, but they presented a, a law, or the the state, um, the Congress in there, presented a a bill to essentially say we'll never legalize it within our borders. Um, so I think you know, will it become? I think it. I think you're going to see banking reform. I think you'll see tax reform. You know, getting that 80, 90 pound monkey, 80, 90 pound year monkey off the back of the federal government. I, I, I'm not one to predict that one. That, but if you get the safe banking, if you get the, t the tax reform, I think that's going to be good enough for most of these states to say, all right, we're good to go. But um, you would think it would have to follow at some point. Fine. Why is this a hard line against the great state of Idaho? I feel like they feel uh, like a state I wouldn't assume would be so hard line against marijuana. Well, their next door neighbor basically said anybody who wants to smoke heroin can smoke heroin and anybody who wants to snort coke can snort coke. Oregon's off their, out, of, out of their minds with just legalizing everything. So I think that's, that's what they're trying to wall off is that they think, yeah. well, <laughs> it's interesting because while I don't think it's a gateway drug to anything else, it, people certainly are seeing that it's a gateway to crazier legislation. And I think that's what they're trying to wall off. Understood. Interesting. Well, yeah. And then, so insurance companies, I, I brought this question up earlier. Who are the ones underwriting these policies for your DNO, if you can sure. say? Sure, absolutely. So um, the main one is a company called AxXL. Um, they were the, the, the ones that would write in both Canada and the US. Um, I worked there for some, you know, for quite a long time. I recently resigned and, um, you know, Patrick can attest, there's, there's, there's a need for, for capacity on these people's towers. You have truly, that's a five, $6 billion company and they're gonna want more insurance for their directors. GTI is big, you have, these companies that can barely get $10 million of insurance when any other company their size would want 50 to 60. Right. So, um, you know, it's prohibitive. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, to that end, it's prohibitive, right? So one of the things that becomes, uh, at risk in, in one of the suits that we work with is personal assets of directors and officers. Yeah. You serve on the board of a company, you can expose potentially your own personal assets for the role of that company. And when you're looking at that, you're saying, okay, case law dictates and circumstance dictates that I should have $50 million worth of coverage plus another 20 sitting over here and you can only offer me 10. Well, you're not getting necessarily the best directors and the best officers to sit on those boards because the people that are at Apple and Google and et cetera, you know, they've got that type of indemnification either coming by way of insurance or cash. 
the cannabis industry can't do that right now. So Brian is very humble and, uh, and he really created a path towards that coverage. He's a very, very key as, a, as an innovator in this space by saying, listen, we know how to write a Canadian publicly traded company that has a majority of their assets sitting in the U.S. Uh, he did that. I just brought him a couple of them. And, uh, <laughs> and, and then we figured out how to kind of get the word out in a very tight knit circle that was, Hey, we can help kind of push this along. And, and I do feel like we helped push it along some good, some bad. And now it's become in our industry, at least much more mainstream. When we started this, I mean, legitimately, Brian, there was five or six guys like me. Yeah. And now there's, now there's hundreds. So you're That's getting, what, that was my next question. You, how many are doing you're, it? Yeah, you're getting to the tipping point where you see, you know, some of the guys that have their names on jerseys like Aon or Marsh or, or some of the larger insurance brokers supporting the cannabis industry because they can't. And for a long time, it was they're publicly traded. They can't have that kind of revenue showing on their balance sheet. Right. So the board said, listen, for three million bucks, we don't give a shit about that. And now they're saying for a hundred million dollars, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and so, so, you know, again, Brian being very humble, created a path towards doing some really cool things in the insurance industry. Still not big enough, still not enough, enough players. I will tell you that if you took a company that looked like uh, Medbin, right? Large retail establishment, turn that Medbin into a Dunkin' Donuts. Same idea, right? You make the donuts, you sell the donuts and away you yeah. go. Um, if they can choose from, you know, 200 different insurance providers. Medmen can choose from 20. Yeah. And that's not an exaggeration. I mean, and they're not, a, and they're not the same quality of 20. Those 20 do not carry the same quality. There's some great no. ones, but most of them are startups or lower rated, lower rated firms. Um, so it's still, again, when you asked about the, the, you know, the nature where we sit in, in the life cycle is we're still in the empathy, right? Yeah. There's not enough support. I, I think there are some really smart people trying and it's getting to a point. I think now that the first adapters have kind of come in and shown some of the bumps of the road, we're starting to get to that second cycle of, okay, ton of private money available to invest. And now we can create not only an investment vehicle to grow a company in cannabis, but to grow an MGA that can support the insurance side of things, to grow a division of our accounting firm to do that, to grow a division of our law firm to provide those services. So the whole ecosystem is starting to, to feel the effects of the investment. And that's a, that's a very positive thing. I mean, do you think that, you know, Richard Nixon classified marijuana as a equivalent to heroin back in the 70s i think that has to be looked at at some point and be ratified within i mean before the federal government actually recognizes this right because you, you're aware of that right where it's yeah it's, it's a struggle of a pen right it's 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 a schedule one drug um okay. it's you know part of the control substances act is schedule one and eventually somebody's going to say you know Tricky Dick, really, we're listening to you on that. We're listening to you about <laughs> yeah. anything. There's, right? you know, yeah. Some of the things that are interesting about that is you can go back to when prohibition ended. They needed a new devil, right? And this was one of those things. I think one okay. one interesting, one very interesting thing that we you hear about but you don't hear a lot about is the two countries north and south of us have are both going. You know, one's already fully recreational legal, and the other one just passed it. So, yeah. So it's. You know, the momentum's there. Will it 
come off the schedule list. I, I think it will. It's, I mean, like I just, I said earlier, I didn't know, I didn't want to guess, but it's hard to imagine a world where if you're banking, if you're trading on public exchanges, if you're uh, treating as a normal corporation for tax purposes, that that isn't going to just make it mainstream. Um, but that doesn't mean states have to have it. You know, there's blue laws in states where you, you know, there's, there's dry, dry counties. There's, counties, right. This is going to get really granular. I think that's kind of where it's going to go. And it's you, it's in Mexico. Yeah. I think Mexico's in the process of decriminalizing all drugs. Yeah, they just went recreational for sure. I know that. I mean, everything. That's like, you know, the Netherlands, Portugal, Switzerland are a handful of countries that have decriminalized all drugs. And I'm just wondering, you know, what do you think about that? I, I know that you're specifically in the marijuana industry, and you mentioned a little bit about Oregon being a little nutty in, in, in attempting to do something very similar in our own state. Do you think we're ever headed in that direction, or do you think we'll never get there? Oh, golly. Can I borrow your uh, tinfoil hat for a second, yeah, please? All right. <laughs> Copy that. You so, know, so my opinion on that is, we've always got to have somebody to fight. Brian just mentioned it, right? When prohibition ended, we needed a new devil. If you legalize marijuana, you know, Coke is going to become a bigger problem. We see meth all over the place, flooding the streets and creating, you know, the look of something bad. Could you, you know, package that up and, you know, take all the Robitussin at Target and, and do something different with it? Yeah, but I don't see us going that direction, especially as kind of the backbone or the foundation of some of, of our beliefs as a country are puritanical. Right. So that that is woven into the fabric and there's always going to be something that's bad. Uh, I just I believe that for, for a country like ours, we're insanely puerile and a bit puritanical still for anything that ever actually exists. I agree with you. Well, just to add to what Patrick said, you know, they, the one of the biggest drug scandals ever has taken place over the last 20, 25 years, the opioid scandal. Right. That was fully regulated. Yeah. It was a complete shit show. Well, I what, appreciate what, you bringing that up. Yeah, what, that's the truth of the matter. Yeah, I mean, and I insured one of the distributors, and they they weren't worried about six million pills going to you know middle of nowhere West Virginia. I mean, come on, this this thing was profited and, and pilfered people's lives, right? Um, you know, one of the th one of the interesting things is is can we use this for good and you know i i, I don't know if you're, i'm going to bring a sports thing back in for you george you have a hockey hat on tonight dan daniel carcillo have you heard that name um he's a oh. former nhl player and if you look him up he posted a picture today on twitter and the only reason i know this is because he's really big into the psilocybin movement which is magic mushrooms mm -hmm. and there's now and in, in talking to a cannabis company a couple weeks ago they basically said everybody who's on the, the beginning of the psilocybin movement was all the crazy people in the beginning of the marijuana movement. And there's going to be a big influx and we're going to go down. The difference with psilocybin is, is people are a little bit more scared of it. And people really think there's a, there's this medical benefit for numerous uh, indications. So that money is going to go pretty hard into the biotech world and doing trials. It's going to be much more. There's a lot of legit biotech money in psilocybin yes right and ketamine so, of all fucking things I, yes. I mean when i hear ketamine treating uh legit medical issues it to me is wilder than uh psilocybin but if you take a step back why should any of it be all of this stuff 
was available for a reason, right? Mm -hmm. And the only reason that, you know, all of us were indoctrinated in the sense that it's wrong is because .gov said it was wrong. Yeah. Once we all took, and we all took dare classes. Yeah. (laughs) And we all took dare classes. You remember that? Thank you, Nancy Reagan. Drug and alcohol resistance education or drugs yeah. are really expensive. Sorry um, to interrupt your thought though there. <laughs> but but the interesting thing when you relate it back to cannabis, one thing that is interesting in, in, in my opinion is they all talk about medicinal. It's really just somebody wants this to make them feel better if, if they have cancer or an eating, uh, eating issue, it helps them eat or whatever. I could, I think you could see biotech money coming into cannabis later because people are so hell bent on getting the flower out there. Maybe, maybe there's some medicinal benefits that can be concocted in a lab from this stuff. There's some companies looking at doing it uh, synthetically, um, growing it much cheaper. But we're just, we're just like he said, we're in the second, third inning of of maybe just the first game of a seven game series. Who knows? It's 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 a big <laughs> wild west of a world right now. Guys, on the the business side of things, um, uh, Pat, you were saying Brian was a kind of an innovator. How did you guys feel from a professional standpoint to like stake your claim in this space where, (laughs) um, you know, going in, you're like, hey, I'm going to start doing business with the marijuana guys. How did that? How did you guys feel about that? Yeah, I'll be I'll jump in here, uh, Brian. It was cool, man. It's the beginning of something. You don't get a lot of chances to start something. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be that, you know, assistant principal, bad breath, George. I, I wanted to do something with myself <laughs> and get after it. And this was a chance for me to really kind of put the hammer down and go. Um, so I did. It's, so I just said, fuck it, let's go. Yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's thrilling, to be honest with you. Um, name me another time outside when when the internet was created or when the dot-com bubble happened and you just get to watch it watch it develop from where we sit we we are lucky because our livelihoods aren't necessarily tied to you know what happens federal legalization or whatever our our livelihoods are tied to how these companies you know weather that storm and we get to watch the different people come in you know some of the the best meeting I've ever been to is with Patrick and me sitting across from somebody saying, we're going to be the apple of marijuana. <laughs> and, and I just sat there and said, okay. And you just watch what happens. And I'm not going to say if they are going to be the apple of marijuana or not, but, but just, Pete, you know who that is. It's, it's mad geniuses. <laughs> it's mad geniuses who start these things from an entrepreneurial start. So you get to meet, this character of a person or people that, I mean, I didn't grow up around those people. I grew up in a town of 4,000 people in the middle of nowhere. Um, so this is thrilling to me. I, I think it's the best thing I, I ever that. did. It's the best thing I ever did. I absolutely yeah, I, love that perspective. That's and, really I don't, and, and really, I don't give a fuck what people think about, yeah. about that because, yeah, you know, the glass houses sort of thing. Yeah, it's a business, and and if people can't understand it's a business, then why is this? You know, a CFO of a Pepsi operation going over to run, yeah. you know, a former Bubblegums company's financials? Like, these people are in this for a reason. So I want to be in it to mm-hmm. to watch it and to analyze it and be on the front lines because I'm not going to get this chance again. I'm I'm 42 years 42 years old. This is the time to do it. 
So. I hear it in your voices, guys. You, the way you're talking about it, you guys are very knowledgeable. You're really into it, and that passion. is that is the that is the passion of someone that is excited and and building something for themselves. And for that, I really salute you and tip my hat to you. I mean, I'm 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 really excited for you guys. That you 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 said yourselves. There's like 20 people when well when uh, Dunkin' Donuts would have 200 uh, offers. Mm-hmm. You know, you are in at, you're in this cool little corner of the world, and uh, yeah. Congrats, I tip my hat to you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I, I actually want to share, you know, Brian and I have done a lot of meetings and, and a lot of them have been very interesting. Um, my actual favorite meeting happened in Beverly Hills. And I was, I flew out to Beverly Hills and I was meeting this guy and he, you know, he's a billionaire. Straight up family billionaire. They make a lot of money in a very, you know, lucrative private industry that, that we've all seen in malls. And uh, we're going to his house in Beverly Hills and we get a text message switch it up, go to my other house in Beverly Hills. <laughs> so we go to his other house in Beverly Hills. And, you know, these houses, they're not much to look at. Beverly Hills is in all the spelling mansion, but there's, a, you know, there's some really expensive homes and, and all of them are like three, four, five million bucks. And he's got two of them. So we walk in the front door <laughs> and we pass by the table and he's going into consumer packaged goods. And he's got legitimately about $50,000 worth of pot on his table. All packaged up, all looking, he's looking at buying these companies and creating something we call a roll up. So you buy all these companies and you turn them into one company, take them public and, and make a lot of money. That's what he's in the process of doing. And we go out back and I'm full suit. It's LA. It's just gorgeous outside. Walk in the back and he's got his people there. Everybody, you know, $5,000 watches. It's that crowd. He comes out flip-flops shorts oh yeah v-neck <laughs> fucking you know hemp necklaces hemp bracelets beads all over the place smoking a joint for legitimately an hour and a half straight that's what he was doing the whole time and he was on point with everything knew everything numbers but just blazing for 90 minutes i was i was in awe I was absolutely it's, it's interesting it. living out here in uh you know it's a big weed town but people find their their weed in a way and they cruise with it i mean you see it all the time roger i mean out here the minute the minute they legalize marijuana you can't go anywhere without smell i mean literally yeah. nowhere without smelling marijuana yeah. oh like, yeah that's, and, that's and, and i know those guys you're talking about those motherfuckers <laughs> well, to tie it to tie it oh, back yeah. here's a great story um it's not that and and just obviously without the joint smoking thing, but that's not much different than when a colleague of mine went to a Facebook meeting and there's 40 insurers in this meeting and 39 of them have suits and my colleague has a sport coat because we don't wear suits. (laughs) And the CFO comes in with a fucking hoodie, you know? So outside of just smoking the joint, this, like I said, these companies are going to be companies and that's just what's thrilling about it. So they're not much different than the Facebooks and those other people. So, nice guys. I mean, is there anything that you guys want to talk about as far as I know we've addressed sort of the future? What what you guys expect? How do you? How does your business grow? What what's what's next for you guys to expand? Or and what are you doing to do that? I mean, what what are you trying to anticipate? And do you proactively help states or state makers? help them to try to ratify their states to legalize marijuana do you do you work in that game at all yeah so i do uh a bit with lobbyists in various states 
uh, we create, you know, my office creates the platform by which we can help craft insurance regulations and, and what you need, right? Liability components for products, liability, general liability, et cetera. Uh, right. and, and what you need to look for from a risk perspective as you get into delivery and those things. So we do have conversations with legislatures on a regular basis. Uh, we do help craft policy to a degree. I don't sit there and write the policy, but we have conversations with the, with the people that do. Um, and then I think the second part, and this is, this is something that's more on Brian's end, and I, I do it to a certain degree. We're trying to make the market, man. Um, you know, we mentioned that 20 versus 200. Brian just left his job at a large international insurance company to go and support this industry that needs it by using his expertise, using his leverage, using his reputation to create something new to support the industry, which is really fucking cool. And I applaud yeah. him for that. I think yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to go through a couple of things. You talk about how if we're helping the state, the state lawmakers, I actually called my state senator I said, I've been doing the underwriting for three to four years. I see how different states do this. And I've never been more unimpressed with a with a person in my life. Nah, the evangelicals here won't let it happen. So I'm not worried about it. It just won't go. I said, well, if to do well, he just stonewalled me completely. So I probably won't be involved because that would not be any fun. Um, the, the next thing I think that needs to fall is if the safe banking act does come through, then you're going to see all these companies probably start listing on our, our, our exchanges and the, you know, the sec, the NASDAQ, I mean, wow. sorry, the NASDAQ, the NYSE. I don't, if Patrick's shaking his head, he doesn't see it coming. There's just, there's, there's maybe it doesn't happen. Maybe it does. I think that's another thing to watch. Let's just say that's another thing to watch. Um, and then to grow the business, you know, in starting out something, one, um, we need to come up with more capacity. I mean, that's just really what we need to do and how that capacity is deployed. Uh, that's my main goal over the next 60 to 90 days and coming up with a solution for that. And I'll let Patrick uh, tell me why he disagrees on the NYSE NASDAQ. I don't think this industry wants to the optimist. I, like yeah. I don't think, think economy, economy. and I don't think Brian's being optimistic. I, I, I really don't. I don't think it's a good thing. Until you get rid of the Fed, like unless you invite in federal oversight, more federal oversight, and when you list on a on a public exchange in the U.S., ah, you are inviting more federal oversight into your yeah. industry. If you True. invite that in and you're still telling me that it's illegal, fuck you, I'm not coming. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 a definitely it's a huge dichotomy, you guys. It, but it's something to watch, you know. If you if you if you want, because yeah, there's a lot more money on the New York Stock Exchange yes. than there is in Vancouver. Yeah, I, and, I mean, and just you're talking you, about. Yeah, yeah give you an ahead, idea. Give I'm gonna give you an idea of all you hear about is Sundial and mm -hmm. Canopy Growth, Afria, so Aurora. Yeah, so you're gonna hear those companies. There's companies down here that have two, three times the revenue of those companies, and and they're just getting starting. Like Canada's, Canada's preschool compared so, to what you know when you talk about this and, and george you have a little bit of a background in this in this yep. world yep. the volume at which stocks are traded on the canadian exchanges is a tenth a hundredth of what they could potentially trade on the u.s exchanges especially vancouver is in the out in the regions yeah i mean it's just yeah. it, i mean there's not much to it there's not much oversight either so the financial statements and some of the other things that that you look at from an investment standpoint just aren't regulated the same so it doesn't make yeah. as much sense mm -hmm. um the other part of that is once you move into the new york stock exchange and the nasdaq you get money from goldman 
Mm-hmm. Goldman's got different money than I do. That's mm-hmm. for damn sure. No, but Pat, just, you bring up a very good point about being, you know, you're regulated by the SEC and all. And, and you know what? You know, as much as people want to romantically say things are changing with, you know, whoever gets in office and whoever becomes yeah. senator, you know, man, it's like Led Zeppelin said, the song remains the same. <laughs> the regulators are the regulators, right, guys? George, you're 100 percent right. One thing is, the regulators are always right. there to fucking crush your dreams, right? You're 100 percent right. <laughs> One thing I also wanted to, to, we can kind of put this back, and anybody's listening to this would be interested. If you're on, you know, these Robinhood investors, the port noise of the world, Robinhood doesn't let people invest in these over-the-counter stocks on the CSE. They don't the the, the commission because the commission schedules, so you have to be on different platforms to trade in them. So. Mm-hmm. You know, when they get their hands on, on these stocks, what are they going to do? <laughs> Who knows? This, again, that's why it's so much fun from our standpoint is is just all new. And mm-hmm. if if you're if you're just watching, paying attention, it's a lot of fun. You yeah, know Brian. what? You you mentioned baseball, and I know that sports ball is the most popular thing these days. Uh, this is the first we have seen the first, second, and now third act of every single VH1 behind the music in the cannabis industry right the <laughs> roller coaster up and then all the strippers and hookers are dead at the bottom of the uh <laughs> the roller coaster that's happened too yeah it's nuts it's a lot of fun well guys i gotta say it's been pretty awesome to have two guys that are pretty much uh pioneers on the frontier and not too many people get to say they're on the frontier uh so brian i really appreciate you taking the time and uh dropping some of that hawkeye knowledge <laughs> Even though uh, I really do appreciate that, and I know a lot of people I know appreciate that, and uh, always the uh, men in tights with you, George. It's always the oh. men in tights. Yeah, listen, <laughs> Iowa won the national title this year, back on top. So yeah, yeah. we had one guy, uh, Brian, from where I came from, that uh, made it to Nebraska, Nebraska Cornhuskers. So that was a big deal for us, you know. Nice. The guy getting out of New York State to wrestle for the Cornhuskers was a big deal. Uh, back in those days, uh, getting a big 12 wrestler. Uh, Pat, I just want to say I love you, man. Uh, I'm so happy for you and your family. And uh, uh, I really, you know, man, it's just thanks for coming. And it's uh, my pleasure, up. man. Wouldn't miss it. Wouldn't yeah. miss it. Would, certainly wouldn't cancel three times. No, that wasn't going to happen. Roger, it's a pleasure to meet you. But Pete and George, yeah. man, this is this is awesome. Thank thanks you. For, thanks, thanks for having, having me. me. I'll, I'll, I'll just add too. I mean, uh, Roger, go ahead. No, I was going to give the proper sign off about the little thing. That we, you know, oh yeah. Yeah. Let me, let me get to you in one second then. Um, I just, I also want to say thanks for the captivating uh, conversation guys. I mean, we were like, as Raj mentioned, George did a great job, but uh, putting this one together yep. and, uh, and um, it was just, a, I mean, like we could talk for hours. There was an indulgent, awesome. And it, I learned a ton. I really, I mean, I'm I'm excited. I'm gonna probably be asking you guys a bunch of questions after this too. <laughs> let's just call this before Roger said anything. Let's just call this part one. We'll have you boys back for part two. Yeah, happy to do it. Love you guys. Love you guys very much. Roger. 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 Yeah. Just want to say that anybody that has any comments, uh, any advice, they want to chime in on this or any other episode of Five Dollar Buzz, please email us at Five Dollar Buzz spelled out F I V E. D-O-L-L-A-R-B-U-Z-Z at gmail.com. 
And, uh, you know, when we're not blazing our brains out, we'll go ahead and take a look and <laughs> try to get back to you as soon as possible. Looking for anybody uh, with topics and or guests that they want us to use. Thank you so much. Guys, I'm going to spray that citrus and we're out of here. Peace.